everybody. Thank you for tuning into the latest episode of the Michigan Poolside Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Davis, here with my co-host, David Jolkevsky. Today, we're joined by Mark Carmen, who runs the Michigan Swimming Legends Project. Today, we'll hear all about how his project came about and the things that he hopes to accomplish. This podcast is presented by Lawrence Technological University. Lawrence Tech wants you to recruit yourself. Just go to ltuathletics.com and click on the Recruit Yourself link. Academic and athletic scholarships are available in over two dozen varsity sports. Poolside is also brought to you by the Michigan High School Athletic Association, promoting the value and values of educational athletics. And by the Detroit Medical Center Sports Medicine and Physical Therapy Team. Check out the newest Game Changer segments on State Champs Michigan, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube to get the latest training and injury prevention techniques. Mark, let's get started. What is the overall goal behind the Michigan Swimming Legends Project? Most importantly, I want to promote the sport of swimming. Um, I think more than ever before, we need that. Uh, I was a swimmer in my early life and in, in, a, in a life that seems like a long time ago, but I've never lost my passion for the sport. And I, I don't live the sport the way I once did. But, you know, I now I work at the Big Ten Network. And this year I'm watching, you know, Michigan State and Iowa let go of their men's programs. Uh, next year, the Big Ten will be down to eight programs. Um, the Mid-American Conference is has been whittled down. And for for somebody that grew up in the Midwest, it's scary times for a swimming fan. And I just felt like it was important to promote the sport. But also, I'm a storyteller at heart. You know, I'm a television producer and I, I love to tell stories. And so for me, the opportunity to try to track down these men and um, hopefully women at some point, but starting with the men to try and track them down and listen to their stories. And in many cases, I, I have background information on them. I've, I've done an outrageous amount of research. So I, in many cases, I know kind of what they accomplished, but I don't know how they accomplished it. And that's kind of what I try to pursue in, in the interviews. So my hope is that my long-term goal is I'd like to write a book a hard copy book that people could put on their coffee table and, and read about the history of the sport. But in the meantime, I'm trying to go through and do these interviews with the idea that even if I never wrote a book, I can post these interviews and share these stories in a way that they live forever. And um, in the unfortunate um, uh, story of, of Bumpy Jones, one of my subjects has already passed away since our interview. You know, and it, it's a reminder that these stories don't live forever without being recorded, without being captured. And so um, that's what I'm trying to do is make sure that I get some of these great Michigan swimmers to tell me about their stories so that I can share them um, while they all can. Your experience is incredible. You just mentioned the Big Ten Network. You worked for ESPN. What are some of the core values that these networks taught you that you've been able to transfer into the Michigan Swimming Legends Project? Yeah, um, I would definitely say preparation. You know, as a as a line producer of television shows, I work directly with um, the hosts of television shows, and I get an opportunity to see the way they prepare for interviews and the legwork that they do. And so, there's a great there are many great examples for me in front of me. I'm also, when I was at ESPN, I had the opportunity to go through a number of uh, what we would almost refer to as kind of like 
interviewing seminars. And in particular, there was a, a fellow uh, who worked at ESPN for a long time named John Sawatsky. And John Sawatsky essentially teaches people how to ask questions. Um, and he focuses on the idea of the open question. For instance, if somebody was asked, if you ask somebody, were you nervous before the race? Well, they can answer yes or no, and the answer could go no further. But if you ask the question, can you describe your emotions before the race? That allows the subject to go in a lot of different directions. And so I suppose that I try to carry some of that open-ended, you know, question asking into these interviews with the hopes that they don't just go in the directions that I think they're going to go in, that I give them a chance to go wherever they'd like to. Um, so I would definitely say that those are, you know, some of the things that I've learned in my, in my career that I, that I apply, but there is no preparing for being in front of the camera versus behind it for sure. And what have you been working on recently to release in the upcoming weeks? Yeah, um, I've actually interviewed two fellows that I have not released yet. Um, there was a swimmer um, who graduated in 19. 93 that Dave might uh, remember by the name of Matt Martin, uh, went to Westland, John Glenn, swam with Rafi and Eric Matuzek and many of the, um, many of the greats at that time. And uh, I sat down, he went to Stanford and I was able to sit down and talk with him recently about his career. And I sat down and had a fascinating conversation with a fellow named John Spade. Uh, John swam at Ann Arbor Huron uh, in the late 70s, won the 1977 Class A 500 freestyle title, broke the state record, went on to Michigan. Um, and for the swimming nerds out there that might need to get val some validation to John's greatness, John went 422 in the 500 in 1982 uh, to win the Southwest uh, Conference Championship uh, in his college years. But he swam at Michigan and at Texas and was actually part of Eddie Reese's, I believe, fourth team at Texas. And I think Eddie's on team number like 43 now. So that was pretty cool to be able to talk to him about what it was like to swim for a legend before he was a legend. Um, and we went through a, a lot of great detail. And uh, just one more thing on that interview for anybody that, that might be interested in it. About two interviews ago, I released an interview with Brian, uh, I'm sorry, Scott Tyler, uh, who was a great 500 freestyler, uh, went to Auburn, Birmingham Groves to Auburn, and eventually Eastern Michigan. And Scott won what I think is probably the greatest 500 freestyle race in Michigan high school history over John. And it was a huge upset at the time. John was the reigning state champion, state record holder, and John would go on to admittedly probably bigger and better things than Scott would. But that day, Scott was the one. And so I had the opportunity to take that story and kind of flip it and be able to, after hearing Scott's perspective, be able to hear it from Scott's, uh, I'm sorry, from uh, uh, John's side. And that was, that's been really interesting for me when I've had the opportunity to be able to talk with two different people about the same race. And that's happened a couple of times. I tell you, I, I think Scott's interview is probably my favorite from driving to state meet in a police car to that race and him explaining, and those of us who've been on the deck at Michigan state and had a chance to race at Michigan state, he grabs it so well as he's, you know, he's showing you like how the stands are and how the water was shaking. And I'm, I'm super excited to hear that, hear the other side of that story. So um, that's gonna be awesome. He described that when he came off that 50 turn, he said the water was vibrating. Yep. 
And, you know, and when you're able to hear people tell a story, I mean, I'm just doing the math quickly in my head here. I think Scott's about 60. Yep. That race happened 43 years ago this March. And he described his emotions in the water like it was yesterday. And that's not the first time that we've heard that in this series. Um, I listened to Doug Webster describe the 500 freestyle state, 1964 500 state freestyle race against Pete Adams as though it had just happened, you know, and that's just for a swimming nerd like me to be able to listen to somebody go back 57 years and describe um, stories like that. I enjoy it. And, you know, just to go back to the point of the story, the point of the project, that's it. Something that was really fascinating in your bio was that you were a swimmer and then you coached for a few years what enticed you to take a step back from coaching swimming and switch your focus over to the media production side, which has now led to this amazing, amazing project? Yeah, well, my high school coaching years for, for the, any MISCA coaches out there or whatever, I, I coached a little bit at Ypsilanti High School shortly after I finished it. A lot of that, you know, I think coaches probably relate to was help me do everything else I wanted to do. You know, high school coaching stipends aren't a lot of money, but you take everything you can get when you're 20, 21, 22 years old. But my my goal was always to be a high level sports television producer. So I was actually doing that um, uh, really from the first year I stopped swimming, which was my junior year in college. I immediately started an internship at Channel 50 in Detroit, and I worked there for three and a half years. So even when I was coaching, um, I was still heavily involved um, in, in getting my TV career started. And then even when I moved to Bristol, I started coaching in Connecticut, um, largely in volunteer roles that I could manage around my, um, around my career. Um, but just trying to stay close to it, um, in any way that I could. Yeah. So I, I, I probably, it, it wasn't as much, uh, stepping away to focus as it was. I probably reached a point where, you know, you can't go halfway with kids. You know, and when you reach a point where you can't honor all of your commitments, you have to think about what you're doing, you know, and that for me was a major issue um, in Connecticut. I actually got to work with a young man named Josh Robluski, um, who went on to swim at University of Connecticut, was a high school All-American swim, uh, swimmer in Connecticut. And I worked closely with him. And that was really what brought my career of coaching to an end was he was going like this. And I realized that I couldn't be everything that I felt like he deserved. And so I would love to be heavily involved in the sport every day if I could, but I, I don't think I can balance it with my day job, but yeah, I'm always thinking about it. That's great. That's great. You know, obviously you started, you know, you reached out to us at MISCA uh, to, yeah. as you were getting the project going and stuff. So it's been exciting to watch you build this up and, you know, it seems like the videos are getting more uh, creative. You've got the the bars at the bottom and everything. And, you know, so I, I've seen, you know, everything as you've kind of developed it and you and I have shared a lot of information, but for the folks out there that maybe have just caught a video or two, um, can you explain a little bit the criteria that you use to put together Absolutely. your, your all time? Absolutely. Um, you know, I started from zero, right? Like how do you go about trying to figure out who the greatest swimmers in the history of this, of a state are? And so, you had done some incredible work, Dave, in putting up 75 years of high school state meet results on, on the MISCA site. And so I started there and I combed through 75 years of, of rankings. And if people watch some of the early rankings, 
that's really where I was in my process, you know, and I just started talking to people with the information that I had, but I started to realize along the way there was um, that Christy Young's interview was what changed the whole project for me. Um, I, I sat down with Chris and we got, we got into the conversation. And I think when I started the project, I was thinking that it was going to be a, honestly a gift to high school swimming in the state of Michigan. There was going to be something that the high school coaches would really dive into because it was going to be focused around high school swimming. And I sat down with Chris and he was the first person in the project who unabashedly admitted I never shaved and rested for a high school state meet in my career. That was never my focus. I had much bigger goals. And we get to his junior year and he tells me about the day that he flew down to Austin, Texas and swam a 151, 200 meter freestyle and a 201, 200 meter back at age 16 in front of Eddie Reese. And that changed his whole life. And he knew he could go anywhere he wanted to for college. And you just realize my scope is too small. If I'm just looking at what kids did in March at the high school state meet, what I'm going to put together is the best high school swimmers from last 75 years or whatever at high school state meets. And that's not all that swimming is. And so I didn't know that I had it in me to really dig deep, but I just kind of kept chipping it away, chipping away at it. And I should be embarrassed to say this, but like I am at hundreds of hours of research. I have combed through every single high school state meet result, really almost a hundred years. I, I had the chance now to push all the way back to 1925. Um, so I've seen state meet results back to 1925. I've studied every NISCA um, All-American rankings um, back to first 1960. And then I was able eventually to get the 1920 five to 1960 rankings. I started going through Olympic trial results, nationals results. And finally, I decided I'm going to do something really nuts. I'm going to go through every single swimming world ever produced. And so I've looked, I'm 26 years in right now. I've gone from 1960 through 1985. I still have 35 more years, um, but I just can't tell you how much information I'm pulling out of those from junior national results, why national results, um, just articles that were written about Michigan swimming, et cetera. But back to your original question, Dave. How do I figure it out through an outrageous amount of research? And what I'm trying to do is you create standards, um, national champions, state champions, state record holders, um, all Americans. You try to find standards that cross over eras. You know, how do you compare a swimmer from 1970 to a swimmer from 1985? Well, some of the same standards are still in place. You'd expect the swimmer from 1985 to be much faster, but what did they both do at NCAAs? What were the, both of their NISCA rankings? When did they step onto the national scene and how long did they stay there? If they broke a state record, how long did it stand? Um, was, was it quickly broken the following year, you know, and I got to tell you that you also have to have an understanding. And this is the part of it that I do think that what I'm doing right now might give me a leg up on others that would, that would try to do this project while I'm studying the history of Michigan swimming. So I'm getting a much better understanding of things that I never fully understood about when the advancements in the sport happened. 
So, you know, particularly in the 70s where goggles become more prevalent, you know, swimmers today should understand that even when a lot of swimmers started wearing goggles, a lot of swimmers still, they had been taught to swim without goggles and didn't just start wearing goggles. And so you find a guy like Dan Stevenson who went 141 in the 200 freestyle in 1975. And he told me in our interview, he did it with no goggles on. And I... You know, I'm just like blown away when he tells me this, like, what? How you went 141 at 17 years old in 1975 with no goggles, but he did, you know? And so you have to put all those things in perspective. And so I, I'm sure there will come a time when I share my rankings, when there will be a lot of debate. And I'm sure swimming coaches and uh, swimmers will certainly disagree with me and say, well, I was faster than that guy. You know, I, I went a second faster than that guy, but maybe you came along 10 years later, maybe the sport changed, um, you know? And so what I'm really trying to do is understand perspective, study Olympic trials placement, study NCAA placement and national placement. And, you know, like I said, how long did you, um, how long did you hold records, et cetera? And so I, I'm trying to hold to a lot of those standards, Dave, and, you know, and it, it's difficult across eras. Um, one other thing I would share with you in this interview that I think coaches are going to be really interested to see, um, <clears throat> no one's really been able to see this, but over the last two months, the swimmers I've been interviewing have, but I edit all this out of the interviews so you guys can't see it. But the swimmers get to see all my research in the interviews and I've stopped showing it, but the swimmers have seen it. And one of the things that I've done is I stopped trying to compare a swimmer from 2019 to a swimmer from 1953. It's too difficult. And I, I learned that you just can't compare NISCA national rankings from 60 years apart. The sport, I mean, the volume of swimmers that are swimming today is completely different. And so I shifted to ERAs. Um, and so I'm now breaking the last 100 years of Michigan swimming down into seven eras. Um, and those eras are uh, decided for a reason. I, I could go into those, but it's kind of boring. But I broke, I broke uh, swimmers down into eras. So a guy uh, like Dave, who graduated a, a couple of years after me, he would fall into my 1986 to 1997 era, where he would be grouped with swimmers from about 12 years around the time that, that he swam. And I found that that is making it much easier um, to compare swimmers. Um, and I'm also finding that the swimmers really enjoy seeing my rankings when I present them that way, because they're surrounded by the swimmers that came before them and the swimmers that came after them. And they really enjoy that. So once I, so what I'm kind of trying to do is uh, hopefully find the greatest swimmers from eras and then collect all of those to present as the greatest swimmers of the last hundred years. So it, it's going to take a little while um, for me to get there. But that's that's where we're trending. That's so cool. Um, and and again, it, as I've seen this evolve, I mean, you know, I'm I'm trying to you know wrestle Rafi to get on here with you, and I'm trying to hunt down a couple yeah. swimmers for you. Yeah. And now I see how much this is just exploded. It's it's just phenomenal to hear. As you look at those eras now, it sounds like you're just kind of in the infancy of breaking those apart, but yeah. Is there one of those eras that you see as like the golden age of swimming? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm looking, uh, one of the eras that I, I've broken down, it's actually a little bit longer. Um, and the reason I did, did it longer, it's a 17 year era from 1957 to 1973. The reason I bracketed it that way, Dave, you might be interested. 1957 was the first year that the 100 butterfly was swung in high school swimming. Yeah. 
1974 was the first year that we shifted from the 400 freestyle to the 500 freestyle in high school swimming. So I used that era of 17 years to bracket. And if you ask me what a golden era in Michigan swimming was, what went on in the state of Michigan in the 50s and 60s, a lot of this is one of the things that I love about this project. I learned something I didn't really know a lot about that Detroit hosted three Olympic trials um, in the 50s and 60s. I actually, I believe the 48 um, up to 60. I think they, they hosted like three or four at a pool called Patton Pool in Detroit. And if you talk to anybody that came along in the 50s and 60s and 70s, they have a story about how cold the Patton Pool was. And it was a Mecca and everybody in the uh, city of Detroit swam there. Um, and trained there. And, you know, it's, that's one of the things that kind of, kind of was sad for me in this process was learning the way that some of the Detroit swimmers careers were kind of squashed a little bit by the fact that Detroit area high schools were not invited to the high school state meet until 1963. Um, so you had kids from the city of Detroit who were succeeding in incredible ways like Bumpy Jones and others that were not getting to showcase themselves on the state level. Um, but that era in the early 60s was incredible. And as you look at NISCA national rankings, I mean, it was it was a golden age that through the early 60s um, and mid 60s there for Michigan swimming, certainly. But uh, Dave, you know, I would also say that the last 30 years of Michigan swimming, I think have been they really have, you know, and as I, as I pull into the nineties and you see the, you know, the late eighties as the Baileys excel into the moles, um, into some of the great swimmers and the late, you know, like Rafi and Eric in the mid nineties, you can find electrifying swimmers in the state of Michigan really over the last 30 years, right up to today, you know, Camden Murphy, flat out one of the best butterflyers really in the world and you put him in a short course pool and he is a superstar yeah. you know and that kid was just swimming in a, in a high school in, a, in a, a pool in a high school in the state of Michigan four years ago I see what Nick Everly is doing at Auburn right now it's incredibly exciting uh, you know so I, I would say that this is a pretty good era right now too but what happened in the late 60s was pretty cool absolutely yeah yeah and and obviously I'd I, I, I got to dig back on some of those statement results. I'm going to have to come ask you for some of those to get them on the website. Um, you know, I, I just, just a thought I had uh, not so much a question, but as, as I fill out those top 16 times every year, you know, we had records like, you know, that hundred breaststroke that when you and I were in high school, we thought would never fall. And now you sure. look, and it, I mean, it, we're, we're almost that, that, that time's almost off the list now. And these kids are going 54s and it, right. it, it is, it's impressive to see how quick they're going. Um, and that's, that's what awesome. this project too, Dave, like that's what this project, like how many kids growing up today in the state of Michigan have ever heard Dave Chernick's name, but every kid, when you and I were growing up, knew who Dave Chernick was because his rec record had stood forever. I mean, think about it. This kid set the 100 breaststroke state record, 5566 in 19, actually broke it as a junior. In 1980, mm -hmm. went 56.06, which was the national record at the time he swam it, was later broke that year, lowered it to 55.6 in 81, 
And that record stood until Josh Ehrman broke it, I believe, in 13? 13. Yep. 32 years he stood as the state record holder. I think every breaststroker that comes up in the state of Michigan who breaks the state record should understand just because you're the fastest doesn't mean you're the greatest. You know, and that's that's part of what I what I want to share here is those stories and make sure that a young kid understands like understand this guy came along and did what he did. That's what you're shooting for, you know, and and I would say one more thing, Dave, like you grew up on the east side of the state. I grew up on the west side of the state. And one of the things that has really been exposed to me in this interview process, and I'm speaking to the Kyle Lots, I hope he sees this interview, these coaches on the west side of the state have a different challenge than the swimmers on the east side of the state do. And I think the world is getting smaller. YouTube and those types of things allow swimmers to be exposed to more. But I just don't think that, you know, you just, you're not exposed the same on the west side of the state to excellence that you are on the east side of the state. And I love seeing what's going on, um, you know, on the west side of the state up in Holland. But that wasn't there 30 years ago. Right. You know, it wasn't. And they're exploding on the west side of the state now. But 30 years ago, a kid like me growing up on the west side of the state didn't see any of the top 15 swimmers in the state of Michigan until he got to a state meet or maybe to Miska, unless his team ventured over there and swam dual meets. And so, you know, that's that that's one more thing that I that I would throw in there as well is, you know, I. I want kids to raise their expectations. And I think that this project is, is can help do that. Look at state rankings or whatever and be like, oh, I'm second in the state. I'm the man, you know, and it's like, hey, have perspective, understand history, understand there's like 50 kids that have come along who are just as good as you right now. And I can tell you all about them, read this book, you know, and that's, that's what I'd like to do is inspire, inspire kids to know that like, hey, don't just set a goal here. Know that kids from this state have gone way past that. Go for that goal. But when you get here, don't have that moment where you're like, what do I do now? Well, go do what Clark Scholes did in 1952 and win the Olympic gold medal. You know, you might never know about Clark Scholes, but hopefully my book someday could introduce you to that. But yeah, I mean, that's I, I really hope that that's a, a product of this is to raise people's expectations you know, and, and get people to think bigger than what's around their area or even what's happening in the state right now or what's happening in the country right now that, hey, there's a hundred years of Michigan swimming history behind you. Before we continue, I talked about how you can recruit yourself to LTU. Here's more information. If you're a high school athlete with the dream of playing college sports, Lawrence Technological University wants you to recruit yourself. LTU offers over two dozen varsity sports for men and women, along with several dozen world-class undergraduate programs. Athletic and academic scholarships are available in all sports, including its newest additions, competitive cheer and dance, e-sports, women's hockey, and men's and women's track and field. Visit LTUathletics.com and recruit yourself. Lawrence Tech, where Blue Devils dare. Welcome back, Mark. What was the most interesting or meaningful interview that you've conducted so far? I do think the most meaningful interview has to be the Bumpy Jones interview because I think I was probably, 
the last interview that he did. Um, and I think that was, it was very important um, to include him in the project. And I was able to speak to him and he was with it. You know, like he was 88 years old when I, when I talked to him, but I hope people go back and watch that interview. My man brought attitude. Like when I brought up some of the things that happened to him in his career, he let me know that he wasn't happy about it, you know, and there, he was terrific. Um, so I think that was probably the most important one, but I have to tell, tell you, I, I hope if anybody hasn't seen the Bill Jennison interview um, that I did, Bill Jennison broke the national 100 butterfly record in 1963. Um, and this interview was particularly moving for me, um, actually, because of the pre-interview. Uh, Bill called me on a Saturday, just out of the blue. He got my phone number from another swimmer on the list, and he just called me out of the blue. And I had been pre-warned that, like, hey, he's a serious guy. I don't know if he's even going to do the project. So I got him on the phone. I was just hoping to get five minutes to just try to explain to him what I was doing and, like, would you be a part of that? We spoke for about 45 minutes that day off camera, just talking. And we got to a point in the story where he was telling me about uh, the day that he did this. And just very quickly, the backstory. He was not somebody that was an, a longtime career champion. He was in, in a class with a swimmer named uh, Don Spencer, Donald Spencer, uh, who went to Seaholm and had won the state championship in the 100 butterfly in 61 and 62, the previous two years. And in 62, Bill came within a whisker of beating him, almost beat him, but didn't. And so Bill went in his junior year or his senior year, like, this is my last shot. I want to do something amazing. And he broke the national record. And as he was telling me the story about uh, breaking the national record, he told me about how he got out of the pool and he stepped out and his club coach, not his high school coach, but his club coach who had snuck onto the deck and McCaffrey pool at Michigan state that day. I know lots of club coaches probably done that through the years, um, snuck onto the deck and um, came to him and he said, they will never be able to take this away from you. But when he told me that story, his voice broke, cracked. This man was a Detroit police officer for 37 years. He's known as a tough dude. And I was warned like as a tough dude, serious guy. And in 45 minutes, he let it all out. And when we sat down for the interview, I was like, man, I hope I can even come close to recreating in the interview on for that I share with everybody the the talk. But like that was the conversation. If you ask me like what was meaningful, that was the conversation where I realized. Not only am I doing this project, but I have to finish it for them. Like, I'm not trying to be over the top or dramatic here. Like, I'm telling you, I have made personal promises to these swimmers that, like, I'm going to deliver you a product on the back end that you can keep forever, that you can put on your counter, that you can show your grandkids or whatever. And listening to... Listening to him tell that story, listening to Pete Adams from Tasmania take me back 58 years to being a boy and in Detroit, like I just realized like this is this book's important and to them. It may not be like I'm never gonna make a dime off this book. It's not, that's not what it is. Like I'm gonna put 
a thousand hours or more into this book and I'm never going to make a penny off it. I hope to just recover what I spend in printing, but I want to give it to them. And so if you ask me what the most important interview was, it, it was that one, because that was the day I realized like, this is, this is bigger than just telling some swimming stories. Like this is important to them. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Very cool. High school swimming is always about good sportsmanship. It's a motto the MHSAA wants to reinforce across all sports. Listen to this. Sportsmanship has never been more important between the lines in athletics and outside those lines in our communities. To listen, to respect, to understand, to practice common decency, to have competition without contentiousness. Sportsmanlike qualities are essential components of life itself. Let's all work together to not only be good sports, but good people. A message from the Michigan High School Athletic Association, promoting the value and values of educational athletics. You know, so, Mark, I I think about you putting together this list and, you know, we we can compare times and and you're doing a great job breaking down all the errors and stuff like that. But probably one of the toughest things for high school coaches is putting together a great relay. Um, Mm -hmm. If you look at every era and we got three relays to pick from Some were only swam for a few, you know, recently with the two free relay, but is there an all time great relay and who might yeah, those four? I, I four would guys have two. Be I would have two that I would think about. Um, you're putting me on the spot here right off the top. Cause I, I, this project is largely about individuals, but like I said, you see everything while you're studying. So there's two that I would throw out. Um, I think the 92 and over 200 freestyle relay, uh, that included Rafi, Eric, I want to say Sam Kim, and don't hold me to this, but I think Mark D'Erico was the fourth guy on that relay. But that relay went 123 in the 200 freestyle relay at a time that like that wasn't really happening. Um, and it wound up being the national record at the time, and it stood for a while. Um, I think that I would put that one up there. Um, but Dave, I, you, I'm sure you were in the pool this day. The 2013 Celine Medley Relay mm. that went, I believe, 130.01. I think that's what they went. And I, does that still stand as the state record? I believe so. I think somebody got I mean, within a couple couple one hundredths of it. Yeah. I mean, like even thinking about the way the sports changed over the last eight years, that that stood for eight years is amazing. But like, think about the guys that were on that relay. They had like each one of those guys were special in their own right. Um, I, I would say that one's got to get some attention for any yeah. discussion of the, the greatest relay put together. So uh, my, my brother-in-laws will be all over me uh, if I don't get that relay right. So 200 freestyle relay, 1992, 123.57. You got Rafi leading off, uh, Katsuyohashi, and then Bailing, and then Matuzak anchoring. I mean, I only had two of the four. See, that's that's what I'm saying. I remember the year. I remember the time. I knew two of the four, but yeah, that does make sense. Um, I, I, w- I won't get through Christmas dinner if, if I get it wrong. So I got to make sure it's right. right. So what about that? I'm just going to throw one more out there. If you could pick four guys from any era to put together one relay. Is it a medley or is it, it a you want. relay? You, you're the expert here. You've talked to so many people. Let's do a medley just for fun. Sure. On the front end, it would be easy to put Christy Young on the backstroke leg, but I'm going to put Ken Cooper on the front end just to make sure that people have ever heard of this fellow. So in 1980, 
Holland West Ottawa had a backstroker named Ken Cooper. And he won the 79 and 80 Class A titles. And in 80, he went 51-3 in the 100. That record stood until it was actually Matt Martin who broke that record in prelims at the 93 meet. That record stood for 13 years as the state record. Um, and Chris, you know, Chris went on to much bigger and better things. Uh, he can put himself on lots of amazing relays. He doesn't have to be on my dream medley relay. So I'll put Cooper there. Um, Got to put Chernick on uh, the breaststroke leg. Um, if this is like, what was your greatest level? You know, and I can take people from all different eras. I'll put Bill Jennison on that fly leg um, as a as a national record holder. And you could pick a you could pick a million guys to be a freestyler, but I will give you um, Eric Bailey mm. and Tom Bailey. Both went 44s, I believe, on their free relays. I want to say that uh, uh, Tom Nice, like 44-1 on the end of his free relay at the 1990 Class A meet. That's up there. Um, if Clay Youngquist was in the room, there's no way that I put anybody else on the relay except Clay out of fear that he'd step to me and impose himself. <laughs> um, so he he's not far off, but yeah, that – that's that's a fun kind of dream dream relay. Certainly, if we went free relay, just thinking about different eras, I think Clay would have to be in that mix. I think the Baileys would have to be in that mix, and and I would tell you, if I mean one name I haven't mentioned that I think he's one of the greatest swimmers of all time, and he has been the most valuable player in this project has been Tom Zuba. He's a Dearborn legend. And I mean, that guy was going 140 in the 200 freestyle back in like 1974. Um, just a stud. So I don't know. I could give you a million names, but there's a few. Yeah. Good. So to get listeners excited, I know I'm excited after listening to all the prep work and the history that goes into this project. What should we be looking forward to that's upcoming for the Michigan Swimming Legends project? Yeah. Well, I'm getting really close on my research. And one of the things that people have probably noticed is the interviews have slowed way down. And the reason is because I'm getting to a point where I don't want to just keep interviewing people. I want to interview the right people. So I kind of slowed down a little bit with the interviews to make sure that I kind of advance my research and the next wave of people that I reached out to would um, be people that would very likely be in my top 100. Um, Things that I've come across, um, Dave, you know, in the last uh, two months is a number of what I would consider to be college superstars have advanced significantly in my rankings. Um, and I think that some coaches that might be following the podcast, they, they might start to see a few swimmers that maybe weren't high school superstars who went on to do some outrageous things in college. Um, I'll tell you a story real quick here, Dave. There's a swimmer who swam in the late 70s named Jeff Eikema, who went on. He was a 150, 200 freestyler in high school. I mean, I was 146 and I was no good, right? No. He was a 150, 200 freestyler in high school. And um, four years later, he was one of the top 1,500 freestylers in the country. And it was like a slow build. He went to Central Michigan. He swept the 500 free in the MAC four straight years. Those are the kind of guys like I haven't done anything to try and track down um, somebody like him. But like those are some of the people that have come that I've started to find in my second layers of research. These guys that 
it went on and just did amazing things in kind of that second chapter. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. And I would just say that, like, I, I saw in some of the the research and possible questions. Um, I hope I can do a women's project. I would very much like to do one. I've had some people ask me, you know, are you doing one? Is there a reason you're not profiling women swimmers? And I've wanted to kind of share like, hey, it's like, I was a women's swim coach. My sister swam. I, I'm the reason I was a swimmer is because my sister was six and a half years older than me and led me into the pool. So I love women swimming and I, I very much would like to deliver a similar project. Um, to the women, but I think it's important for me and my sanity that I try and finish the first project um, and, and get there. So I'm focusing on the men right now, but Gwen DeMott, if you're out there somewhere, I want you to be my first female interview. I was nine years old sitting in the stands at Grand Rapids Community College when I watched you become the first SB girl ever to go under five minutes in the 500 free. I had never been at a sporting event where everyone, including the men, stood up and went nuts for a woman. And that was moving to me as a young kid to like watch a whole crowd of people rhythmically clap and come unglued for a young girl. I just hadn't seen that in 1984. And so I've never thought forgotten about the impact that Gwen DeMott had on me when I was a little nine-year-old boy in the stands. So I want her to be my first interview if I can, if I can find her. So yeah, I hope that I hope that's something to look forward to in the future as a women's project as well. And just to wrap things up, where can listeners find the project? There are two platforms that I've been pushing things out to. Obviously, these long form interviews are way too long for Twitter. So I, I post uh, links to the interviews at Mitch Swim Legends, M-I-C-H Swim Legends. Um, is the handle on Twitter. And then if you just search Michigan's, I think, Swimming Legends, Michigan's Greatest Swimmers on uh, YouTube, you would come right to the right to the page. And I've been posting all of the interviews really in long form for the last few months. I started at the beginning just posting snippets. Um, and then I just kind of changed that and decided I wanted to share the interviews more long form. So if anybody went back and watched some of the older interviews, as Dave noted, you'd see some changes, you know, and some advancement, hopefully in the production quality um, of it. But yeah, on those two platforms is where I've been sharing the interviews. That's awesome, Mark. You know, I mean, just under a year, I mean, we're all, you know, looking at the year anniversary of COVID here coming up, but I, I think you reached out, you know, April or something like that to me. And, and it's been awesome watching the work that you've put together. Um, you know, on behalf of everybody at MISCA, you know, thank you for it. And for all the kids out there, and for even the, the swim nuts, you know, my, my brother-in-laws and all the guys that, that were on those Andover teams, they, they've been texting and emailing and stuff. And it, it's just brought some great highlights and just some of those wonderful feel-good stories that I think sometimes we forget about. We, we always see the times, but you've really opened <clears> up <throat> some awesome stories that we've all gotten to go back on and learn about and reflect on and, and get the goosebumps and stuff. And I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the hard work you're doing. And I, I can't wait to see all the, the fun stuff you're going to do here in the next few months. So good luck with everything. And um, hopefully we can get you back on the show, you know, maybe in another few months and see how you're doing. How cool is it to see a face that you hadn't seen in 25 or 30 years? You know, I saw him in the 1993 Class B 200 freestyle final next to Eric Matuzak. And 27 years later, I see him pop up on a Zoom. Yep. And we spent 90 minutes together and just talked about his career. We didn't spend a lot of time about how 
he beat me that day. I promise you that. But we had a great conversation. But that's one of the cool parts of it, right? Just being able to see some of these swimmers. And I, I hope that the swim nuts, like you said, are enjoying being able to see a face pop up that, oh my God, that's Rafi, you know, that's yep. Eric, you know, like these people were, you know, kind of legends in our state and icons to a guy like me. I looked at a guy like Rafi, like he's just an untouchable character. So to be able to sit down 27, 28 years later and just talk about yeah. their career is pretty cool. So thank it you. It is, absolutely. And just thank you so much for everything, man. All right, everybody. Well, that's all the time that we have this week. Thank you so much for tuning into the Michigan State Champs Poolside Podcast. This podcast is presented to you by Lawrence Technological University. Poolside is also brought to you by the MHSAA, promoting the value and values of educational athletics and by the DMC's Rehabilitation Institute of Michigan, the only freestanding rehabilitation center in Southeast Michigan solely dedicated to physical medicine and rehabilitation. Once again, I'm your host, Sarah Davis, joined by my co-host, David Jolkevsky and Mark Carmen. If you have not already, be sure to check out the Michigan Swimming Legends Project so you can better understand everything that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening, everybody, and just keep swimming.